0: Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow
1: and protect your wealth. Hi, and welcome to the Your Wealth podcast. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTrade's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. While markets have rocketed back from their lows in March, many companies in Australia are just coming to terms with the impacts of COVID-19 and how they're going to find their way out of lockdown and the economic slump that has followed. Listed companies are coming to market with capital raisings to shore up their balance sheets, and some of the smaller companies on the ASX have some interesting offerings. Marcus Burns is a portfolio manager at Spheria Investment Management, looking at smaller microcap stocks in Australia, and he's going to talk us through the challenges and the opportunities, presented in this space. Marcus, thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thanks, Gemma. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Marcus, we're going to timestamp this one. I've made the mistake of not doing that. In the past, things are moving really quickly at the moment, and certainly uh, in the capital raising space, it can move pretty fast as well. So today is Thursday, the 28th of May. You'll be able to hear this if you're listening in less than a week, so you should be pretty much on top of what's happening. So, Marcus, can you talk us through how smaller companies that you look at are faring right now?
0: Sure, general. Well, it's nice to know that this is relevant for about three milliseconds <laughs> um, because things are moving quickly, as you, as you say. And I guess if we just contextualize the market we're dealing with, maybe to, to sort of frame the conversation, um, the bottom, the market bottomed in in March the 23rd, uh, both here and internationally, and it's obviously rocketed, recovered dramatically since then. There's a bunch of reasons for that, including government stimulus, uh, capital raisings, which we're going to talk about a bit later on, et cetera. Um, but, you know, what we're seeing really is a very polarised market. So the uh, the smaller end of the, of the cap spectrum has really lagged the, the sort of mid and upper end of the small cap space. And by small companies, we mean the X100 company space. Um, and so if you're a micro cap company, you've really uh, suffered from illiquidity. And uh, any activity that has seen people withdraw money from the marketplace has probably dramatically impacted the small and micro end more than the mid and large end. And so we're seeing a, a very big disparity in valuations and performance actually since the bottom of the market in, in mid uh, mid March.
1: Okay, and is that reflective of how the companies themselves are faring, or is that just the market?
0: I think. Look, it's a bit of both. The um, COVID nineteen impacts on the market and the shutdown we saw here and in most other countries uh, really it's a man made it's a man made reaction to the pandemic, as you, as you know, and so. A lot of people, a lot of commentators, are drawing the, the parallel with uh, you know with 1929, 1930, the the most depression the world had back then, and you know 20 unemployment, huge queues around the corner, etc. But I think we live in quite different times today, and that's largely because we don't have a, a gold standard anymore. So we've got a concept called fiat money. That's not a car car money. It, it relates to the fact that we have money backed by a government promise, as opposed to backed by gold. So back in the old days, you had to have Reserves of gold in store to back up the dollars you printed uh, as, as a central bank. Something like fifty percent or so of, of the money you had in circulation was backed by gold. So if you had an issue issue where you had to raise money as a government, you had to have the gold reserves or wealth. And back in 1971, the uh, the governments in uh, well the US abandoned the gold standard and created fiat money. And we have that situation today, which is which explains why governments are producing so much of the money right now. So. Um, yeah, so I think you know, so we are dealing with a liquidity situation, um, and our view as a team at Sphere was always that we're dealing with a with a short term impact, and, and it was more a case of could the companies fund themselves for a period of three, six months through a downturn and trade out of it. And obviously, some companies, you know, tourism, uh, retail sectors in particular were the most impacted by the by the shutdowns. Um, obviously, healthcare, tech, um, and other other, other sectors are much less impacted. Right. So, big, 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 you know, big, out, big dispersion of sort of. Um, economic impact on the, on the earnings of a company. Um, but to answer your question, we think the um, smaller ends really lag because you've seen a bit of retail outflow uh, from from small companies and people have really chased performance, which has typically been in the sort of fintech space. So the rapidly growing um, tech and, and fintech have, has really seen a lot of money and weight of money going going back into it. So, you know, we're, we're actually seeing more opportunity in, in sectors have lagged. Uh, we've, we've had some stocks in fintech and some growth names have done particularly well. There's been a lot of stocks that have sort of lagged that, and we, we see that as being offering more opportunity right now.
1: So for those companies that are struggling, and you've called out, obviously, the big sectors that are having having an awful time of it, but there are others where even if the uh, the sector is doing just fine, needing a bit of extra capital is not a bad thing. How are they seeking to shore up their balance sheets at the moment? Uh, we've seen the big banks and others postpone their dividends or they're cutting their dividends. Uh NAB's done both, raise capital and cut its dividend. Just one finger in each pie. Um, You know, we've seen others seek fresh funding from the market, all those sorts of things. What are you seeing from your sort of end of the spectrum?
0: A bit of the same, actually. So some of the small companies have, actually most small companies have postponed dividends. A couple have subsequently brought them back on, but in general they've postponed dividends. In most cases it's been a conservative slash cautious approach by management teams. They haven't really necessarily needed to in many cases. Some of them... Some companies that have postponed dividends have actually gotten their cash balance sheets, but they're just saying, Look, we're times are tough. We don't know how long it's going for. As things have transpired, it looks like the economy is looking like it'll reopen. So, possibly we overreacted on that downturn and boards were too cautious. But yeah, most have postponed dividends uh, or delayed them or just cancelled them for the period of time, even if they declared them. So, that's one way of shoring up capital. And the other has been, as you, as you quite, quite, quite rightly raise, there's been a lot of capital raisings that companies have undertaken. In some cases, because I had to, um, in other cases, because frankly uh, they they really needed to, um, but I would say one thing in general, we feel that that the boards have probably overraised, so combination of, of board conservatism and clever bankers perhaps pitching uh, pitching capital raisings and and also an appetite from investors to take up the capital raisings has seen in many cases um, probably larger chunks of capital being raised in many cases than was strictly speaking needed by by companies. Um, and that's given, that's given investors a good opportunity to get back into these names at pretty big discounts and, and and make some good returns.
1: So you've partly answered my next question, actually. I was going to say, do you think the current wave of raisings has been reasonably opportunistic or has it been stressed? You know, perhaps people anticipating a, more, a sharper downturn than actually occurred or things sort of looking terribly nerve wracking at the beginning of this. You know, we were all so concerned about how it was going to play out. And some countries have had a horrific experience in Australia, sailed through not unassailed, but pretty pretty well, all things considered. Are you seeing sizable discounts on some of these raisings or are they pretty close to the current share price? I'm bringing in my personal experience because I remember during the GFC, you'd see these raisings at discounts of nearly 50%. They'd be extraordinary. Oh, crazy. Yeah, the yeah. one that sticks in my mind partly because I had worked there previously was Suncorp, which was you know trading at about $8 and they did a raising at $4. Yes. I remember just going – I don't know how you could not buy them. <laughs> well, Are they going under? Did I miss something? Right, or? Yeah. This it was just such an extraordinary discount having never seen anything like it. Yeah. Are you seeing that sort of thing now or is it a bit more
0: sensible? Uh, look, look it's, it's a good question. and It's an interesting parallel. I mean, it's, um, the, the GFC was uh, truly scary, uh, frankly. I mean, I lived through it. I worked through it in London and came back to Australia. And um, the, uh, the, the, the prolonged nature of it and the, And the distrust of the banking system was a real the real heart of the issue it was you know corping a bank and, and and all the banks were really struggling because no one really knew whether all the CDOs et etc were chopped up all the chopped up mortgages that America had created and, and sprinkled around the world um, created a massive issue for for the whole system and it just, it just simply froze so that was quite a scary time and I think the cash was hard to find. central banks didn't have the same playbook. Um, back then, yet that they have today. So they've kind of invented what they are today and invented their role, or reinvented the, reinvented their role, probably more probably probably said. Uh, so yeah, there, there were big discounts and, and liquidity and cash were were frankly hard to find. And there was and everyone was raising money. It was it was a big big problem. Um, banks were raising tons of money at big discounts. The property sector was really badly impacted. You might recall they were very leveraged at the time. They had to raise money at huge discounts. And and by and large, when you when you raise money at a discount, you're one buying it cheaply and two you're de risking the company. So assuming it gets away, you get that real kick up of the risk is kind of going away or being being abated. Uh, Plus, you're getting a a chance to buy something really attractive at a a good price. So we haven't seen quite the same level of of panic. I don't think the, I mean, COVID-19, there was a lot of people out there pushing the 1930s line going back a few months. Thankfully, that doesn't appear to be the case. I I do think unemployment will will rise dramatically short term. Uh, But I think think when we see the economy sort of semi-normalise and Maybe nine to a months time. I don't think it'll be as dramatic a, a downturn as people expect. Certainly not in Australia and New Zealand, and and possibly not so much elsewhere. And that's really again goes back to how I think central banks have played out, played the role here. They they are, they are literally producing huge quantities of money, the fiat money again, and, uh, and that is um, that is providing liquidity. It's providing um, both liquidity for for people to go and you know keep their jobs, you know job keeper allowance, et cetera, Is income and that circulates around the economy. And clearly, the the role they've had with shoring up banks and allowing banks to you know, provide short-term liquidity and funding to those guys also meant the banking system hasn't really had the same pressure on it. So with that in mind, um, we are seeing discounts. And you know, I think early on, when the crisis was sort of unfolding, as I said, the, the absolute bottom of the market was um, 23rd of March. So a few days after that, you started having uh, the travel companies, you know, Webjet, um Auckland Airport, these sort of names you know, that were related to travel, most impacted sectors, raising money. And because they were early and because we didn't have any clarity on COVID-19, how long it would last, they were a big discount and um, and they raised a lot of money. So in many cases, I mean, uh, WebJet almost raised the entire value of its company again to, to sort of shore up the debt. Uh, had a lot, of, a, lot of ge- a lot of gearing, completely repaid that. And that, as it turns out, has been a fantastic raise. So if you bought shares there and you've had a 150% return from the bottom. Um, Auckland Airport, another one. Uh, raised $1.2 billion. It had um, $2 billion of debt, so it almost cleared more than half the debt off. It's a cracking asset in New Zealand. Uh, obviously, it's, it's it's the main airport there. Got lot, plenty of land around it, and that, that was uh, done at a big discount as well, and um, that, that share price is up over 50% from the, from, the, from the placement. So in aggregate, um, if you've bought every placement that's been offered to you, you've done really well. I mean, I think I did the numbers this morning because I knew you'd asked me the question. Uh, I'm not that smart, but uh, the um, the total return is something like 38 39% if you bought every placement and just blindly owned it. So it's been a good place to be.
1: That's powerful. Mm. So question without notice, do you think there's a lot more coming? Do you think they will have all kind of rushed to market in the crisis and now they're calming down? Or do you think there'll be further opportunities?
0: It's a good, it's a, look, it's a good question. And i if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said no. <laughs> I think it's pretty much played out. But it appears uh, that they're still coming and... I don't really know why, uh, again, I think it might be just an overabundance of caution from, from boards and management teams just saying we just want to make sure that we don't have a problem in three, six months' time. So, for example, Blackmore's raised um, $90 million plus 25-odd share placement, so $115, $120 million last night. Um, you've got um, uh, Atlas Arteria in placement today, uh, and I suspect, I suspect it will continue. So, I, like, my instinct is we've probably got... Two-thirds of the way through the placements, and maybe it's another 30% to go. Um, but that's only a gut feel. I don't actually know, but that's that's my sense, yeah.
1: That's, that's an interesting perspective. So uh, a lot of NAB trade investors still have a lot of cash, which I find quite telling. Uh, they've been extremely active since uh, since late February, right? They've been absolutely loving the price falls and they've been leaping all over those. Uh, and we've seen quite a bit of profit taking the last couple of weeks. The, a lot of them don't feel necessarily that the rally can be sustained. So they've got cash sitting there. The cash balances haven't fallen dramatically from their highs back in February, which is pretty fascinating given how much people have been buying. They've still got cash, they've been bringing it in. It is kind of amazing, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how do you suggest that investors respond to these raisings if they're able to take advantage of them?
0: Well, look, every uh, capital raising should be considered on its own merits. I mean, I'm stating the blinding, obviously, but but, I mean, I I generally mean that. It really depends on the quality of the business, the management team, whether you're a shareholder. Are they raising enough to to sort of dig the balance sheet materially? Why are they raising the money? But uh, but broadly speaking, if it's a decent discount and it's a solid company, then you're probably going to do quite well out of it, frankly, um, even from today. So... Um, look, and I I guess part of my response there is also I think cash is going to be a tough place to be. I think cash is, um, is even though it feels good having cash, it's going to be debased over time by this constant printing of money. We haven't really been in a, in a situation globally where we've had so much money being produced by banks, and uh, it, it does concern me and our, and our team. And that working that typically is a debasement or devaluation of the dollars. So if you if you sit there holding cash for too long, you're going to lose value relative to to alternative investments. So I think being in equities uh, or property or other forms of decent asset is going to be a better place to be medium term. And so, um, my answer would be yeah, deploy your money.
1: Our investors will love that response, right? That's definitely.
0: I could be wrong, by the way, but I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> you I okay? mean, my,
0: my but my sense is it's it's going to be better deployed in something that that can that can raise prices and. Um, uh, and earn cash flow rather than said they're earning almost zero, right? I mean they've 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 really forced you out of banks, haven't they, out of cash, you know, zero one percent on deposit, if you're lucky.
1: Yeah, you're getting yeah. very strong message from central banks. Negative if you're in something. Europe. I mean,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Please do something with your cash. Please don't leave it here. Exactly. We don't want you to. Uh, so one thing that I'd love you to explain if you're able is that Australia has a system that's designed to ensure that retail investors aren't disadvantaged in capital raisings. It's not something that's broadly understood, um, but certainly a lot of our investors get super frustrated when they get scaled back. For example, they get all of their cash handed back to them two weeks after the raise or something. B- by,
0: by the way, so do we. i am just, just <laughs> Just, just, to put it on the record. So does okay. so does this, this, this small institution? We get scaled back as well, and um, we find it frustrating. And we're competing for for capital in many cases as well. Just to just put it on the record. Uh, but I understand their frustration. And um, sorry, the question really is is on, is on how are they protected?
1: And, yes, and also how the rules have changed recently. If you could answer that for us.
0: Sure. So I think the protection you're referring to is the um, the 15% placement rule and um, and and the SPP the um, which shareholders, are, you know, retail investors are protected. So if there's a, a capital raise in Australia, typically there has to be an SPP or a share placement for retail investors, which I think allowed up to 15000 per per investor previously, uh, and they got scaled back if they were oversubscribed. Uh, what ASIC did recently was allow that 15 percent placement to be raised to 25%. And the other tweak there was it was 25% of the shares post-raise as opposed to pre-raise, which is, a, again, a pretty big increase in, in the amount of shares you could, you could actually raise. Uh, and the SPP has been raised from 15 to 30000 so a, a pretty big increase there for, for retail investors as well. So... Uh, there has been some press around um, how lucky these institutions are to have this uh, access to all this incredible capital raisings at big discounts, um, which obviously, you know, clearly has been put in place by, by ASIC and authorities because they felt we were going to an emergency situation where capital was going to be scarce and you didn't want to um, impede um, companies being able to raise capital because obviously, you know, if you couldn't raise capital, you might be going through insolvency, which has much bigger consequences for the economy. So I think, look, I think it's, it's, it's great that we have these protections in place. Um, shareholders uh, typically SPPs, are not scaled back as much as 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 the underlying uh, investors are. So in many cases, we bid for stock and get scaled back, you know, 80 percent from our original bid, and our bids are generally original, you know, generally generally real in terms of what we're going for. So the frustrations felt broadly, um, but um, you know, it, it is. I think it's. I think investors are treated pretty well in this country, and I would also point out that many of the, many of our investors are actually underlying retail investors. So we have wholesale or institutional clients, but. The ultimate investors are, are actually individuals with a superannuation or savings funds as well. So even though we're we're seen as being favoured as, as an institution, we are representing clients um, and the population more broadly. So I think it's been clever for ASIC to actually allow that 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 expansion. It's only temporary. It will go back to fifteen percent again at some stage. I guess in a few months' time, when when the, when the emergency inverted commas is over. Um, but um, but I think they try to be fair with 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 increasing SPP. And and I think companies also know. Just to finish off that that having a retail uh, investor base is good for them as well. It gives them breadth in terms of the marketplace. Um, retail investors can be stickier and more loyal in some cases, um, have different different um, liquidity needs and, and, and so forth. So um, having a good register of, of retail investors is, is considered pretty, pretty good for most companies, and they try to keep that.
1: Yeah, I think your point about many institutional investors – just being representative of a lot of mums and dads, right? That's what super funds are. Absolutely representative of lots and lots of small members. So, uh, even though we like to talk about institutions, might well just be people. Big bank right?
0: institutions are actually um, <laughs> ultimately people as well, and, and that's how that's how we treat it. Mm. Yeah.
1: So. As I mentioned, a lot of NAB trade investors have done really well out of the recent rally and we have been seeing this profit-taking over the last couple of weeks in particular. We actually saw some profit-taking right from the first, from the last week of April um, depending on what the stocks were and how hard they'd run. Are you concerned that the market's gotten a little bit ahead of itself?
0: Uh, look, this is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, um, I would... You know, we had a... The market was weak. The market was strong in January, weak in Feb, terrible in March, obviously, and, and obviously bounced, and has been incredible in April and so far in, in May. So, I think May was up. In small caps are up something like fourteen percent in in um, in April, and we're up close to ten percent so far this month in, in May. So that's that's a, a huge rebound off, off off a pretty dreadful March, to be fair. But um, nonetheless, it's performed very well. Uh, and I guess on one hand you could say, well, earnings earnings will be will be weak, um, particularly in those areas that have been impacted by the you know, COVID nineteen closures, so the retail, tourism, leisure sector, travel, clearly. Um, uh, but on the flip side, there are other areas that held up pretty well. So I would say, be tempted to say yes, based on earnings multiples. But the other side of the equation is, what's the alternative with interest rates flat, zero, or or in many cases negative, something something like. Uh, a quarter of the world's bonds are now trading with negative yields. If you can believe that, a quarter of the world's bonds, and um, and Germany raised money recently with a negative interest rate for for three years. So, um, at some point, there has to be a limit to how negative rates can go because you'd be better, better just um, hiring a big bank vault with some some guards around it and storing cash there rather than buying a bond. But um, you know, so you can get no no return on the rates there and have your money deflated, or you can put it to work in in, um, in businesses that can earn money. So. Given the backdrop we have with fiat money, et cetera, and the cash being gushed into the system to support the economies by central banks, I think um, even the profit-taking is tempting, um, you know, my comment earlier about there being some value in the sort of mid and smaller end of micro caps and small caps, um, some of the more cyclical plays, I think there's some real value, for example, putting money to work in some of these names. As long as the balance sheets are good and the businesses are actually pretty solid and they can trade through a, you know, a short-term lack of liquidity, I think you'll do pretty well in the medium term. Um,
1: so your point about quality is really important. You know, the business has to be able to survive this period. Where are you looking for opportunities right now?
0: Well, uh, we are uh, we're cautious on on some some names. So you might recall the term wax stocks that was bandied around six months ago. Um, the YSEX and Altiums and, and, Altium and Appens, et cetera, which, you know, some of them are really good businesses, um, no doubt. But there's a there's a sub level beneath the wax stocks that are equally um similar in terms of the way they they present. So they're very high growth rates off tiny bases, I might also add, and, and typically losing money and don't have any cash flow. And um, those stocks, for whatever reason, have particularly caught the imagination of investors and they are incredibly overvalued in our opinion. Um, again, look, I might be wrong. This is just, I'm just one voice you know, giving you my, my assessment of, of of what I think their value is. But we fall back to cash flow and we think we think businesses should be able to generate cash flow and you should be able to value stocks on cash flow basis. Um, uh, that's always been the way it's been historically and and all the great investors of the world will tell you that the Warren Buffetts and those guys will say like okay, it all comes back to cash and what you can earn uh a business and if you're if you're chewing cash uh you eventually need to be able to make cash in order to be to be valued and a lot of these a lot of these sort of concepty growth names have been given an incredible free run and um so we we were very cautious in those names, especially if they're not making money today um but we do see value in you know, some of the retail names, um, some of the cyclical names, like some of the building material names have been really left behind. You know, if the economy recovers, which we think seems reasonably likely on a sort of prospective basis, 12, 18 months out, then building cycles should recover as well. Um, many of these names are trading on, you know, mid-single multiples, which is very cheap. They make great cash through the cycle and um, balance sheets are in pretty good shape. So, um, some cyclical areas, um, as I said, if you get into the market cap spectrum to smalls and micros, we, we see names, stocks on, you know, three or four times EBIT with net cash balance sheets and they're just being left behind and, and literally no one covers them. So those kind of opportunities excite us because they'll get picked up by, by private equity or, or large companies or foreign corporates come and buy them out. So, um, that's the kind of area we're looking at and, and sort of rotating some of our money back into, um. And I think you'll see some real, some really good returns being played out there in, um, in the next maybe twelve, eighteen months.
1: It sounds exciting. You so you, twelve, eighteen months is the horizon that you've got in mind.
0: Well, it could be less. It could be more. <laughs> I'm just trying to give myself a bit of breathing space there, so don't come back to me in twelve months, and say, Marcus, you told me twelve months, and it hasn't worked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we would never. Um, do that. So look,
0: I, yeah, I think you yeah, we've we've seen a hiatus from from M&A and, and IPOs in particular because obviously the market's been focused on uh, capital preservation and then capital raisings and now we're back in that space where I think you'll see, uh, you know, corporates and, and, and private equity get active again as long as they feel like they, can, they can raise the capital and that feels like the kind of market we're coming into so possibly, you know, by the time they get their the together, six months, 12 months for some of these names to be, to be picked up. Alternatively, I just think having the economy sort of switch back on so restaurants being turned back on, travel restrictions get get relaxed, um moving people, you'll see people go back to taxis and, and, and ride sharing again. You'll see people start traveling again. Uh I think you'll see a flow on to some of these small names as people pick them up again and say, look, actually, you know, the earnings aren't going to be zero. Uh they're gonna be they're gonna be maybe maybe they're down twenty, thirty percent from where they were previously, but they'll they'll recover again and, and start trading up again. So I, I just think it's it's a dint of time. It's um it's seeing some results and it's seeing a bit of corporate activity, you know, drift down the market spectrum that'll probably be the catalyst for it, although the catalysts are always always in hindsight and never uh, never Forecastable by definition, so um, we don't really look for them.
1: Anything you're particularly in love with at the moment? Anything you're very excited by?
0: Anything I'm in love with? Well, there's um, there's always there's always businesses you really love. Um, Look, a couple of stocks that we've had in the, in the portfolio that, that we, uh, we are long-term holders of and, and think will do really well are things like uh, Breville, Breville Group, which has been run incredibly well by the, by the management team there. Very innovative Australian company, um, been very successful moving overseas.
1: So random, random fact on Breville. Do you watch Billions at all?
0: Uh, I I watched the first one and I, I, <laughs> and I knew I'd be addicted so I turned it off <laughs>
1: <laughs> the first the very first scene put me off very I was like this is not for me but the show itself is fantastic it is. the reason I mention it is, it is. is that the most recent episode uh, one of the characters is giving his daughter a gift of a bread maker and it's Breville, Breville. branded and the brand is on screen for about 10 seconds it's so conspicuous Golden. it's Golden. not funny so wow. there you go Breville I'm sure that I'm sure
0: it wasn't paid for at all <laughs> <A> 30,
1: 000, <laughs> in New York in <laughs> billions right exactly. so there's Sending a strong message out
0: there. Yeah, um, yeah. If I just, just add a couple, so so that's been an incredible holding, and I think we'll do. It's not cheap, but it's um it's a it's a it's a business that'll grow into its multiple over time. And if you if you go down the spectrum, I did flag some of the smaller smaller ones. I think you'll see, I think you'll see names like I mean just forgotten names like we own a business called Vita Group, for example, which runs the um, t Life, the so Telstra stores, rough, roughly a third of the Telstra stores. It's trading on four times EBIT. So it's got a net cash balance sheet, four times EBIT. It pays a dividend yield of close to 10%. And um, it's, it's very well run. You know, they've sort of found her owners there running. She's got a 25% holding in the company. And um, you know, so those kind of stocks we just think are, are, are incredibly cheap and, and will perform well over time, we suspect.
1: Marcus, you guys produce some fantastic insights and you bring these ideas to market so that people can keep up to date with what you're thinking. Where do people go to find out more about you and what you're up to?
0: Well, they can listen to your podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, we, if we get invited back. Um, the, other, the other place, obviously, is our website, which is au, where we recorded some podcasts and some presentations and, and write our monthly reviews and thought pieces.
1: Fantastic. Well, I can imagine that many of our investors will be uh, closely following, particularly Breville, after watching it on Billion, uh, which is the obvious place to find your stock tips, right? Obviously. <laughs> Marcus Burns from Sferia, thanks so much for your time today.
0: Thank you, Gemma. Great to be here.
1: Thank you so much for listening now. As always, we absolutely love to hear from you. So if there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or guests you'd like to hear from, please just email your suggestions to yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.